0: Welcome to PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and it is my honor and joy to bring you a biography episode today. I look forward to these each time, and I know that you do too. I love each and every woman of faith that I've researched for this podcast, and today's subject is no different. In fact, I think you'll come away from this woman's story inspired, encouraged, and challenged. I know i have today we are diving into the life of fanny crosby now if you've grown up in the church like me you might recognize that name i know you'll recognize some of her music here are a couple blessed assurance jesus is mine and to god be the glory great things he hath done sound familiar I never thought I'd sing on this podcast, it's funny, but you can't talk about a hymn writer and not sing some songs, right? You might even know a couple of things about Fanny Crosby. For instance, I knew that she wrote hymns and that she was blind, but really that was about it. Well, those are two key points of her story, but as I found out, and as you soon will too, there is so much more to this woman than that. So without further ado, let's jump into her life story, shall we? Frances Jane Crosby was born on March 24, 1820. She lived with her mother, Mercy, her father, John, and her grandparents on her mother's side. When Fanny was six weeks old, she came down with an illness. A passerby doctor offered to treat her and put hot poultices on her eyes. Her infection cleared right up, but due to the faulty treatment of that quack doctor, her eyes had been burned from the hot poultices, and there was permanent damage. The burns left thick, white scars over her eyes, and she lost her sight at six weeks old. Other than a few flashes of light, she never saw again. If you look up pictures of Fanny, she's always wearing dark glasses, and I'm assuming that's to cover up her eyes and the scars. Within that same year, Fanny's father died unexpectedly. Her mother then began to work outside the home as a maid to help make money to support them. Fanny's everyday care was mostly done by her grandmother, who took it upon herself to teach Fanny everything she possibly could. She did not treat her blindness as a disability that could hinder her, but instead, she tried to teach her everything she could so that she would be successful in life. Her grandmother wanted her to be able to do anything and everything an able-bodied child could do. With her grandmother's help, Fanny learned all the paths around her house and even how to identify the trees and leaves around their home. She learned directions and used sounds and smells to help her identify and orient her world, since she couldn't use her sight. She didn't let her blindness hold her back at all. She actually didn't know any better, since she couldn't even remember being able to see. She taught herself how to ride bareback on horses, and she often did so behind her grandparents' backs. Her grandmother also taught her the Bible. She memorized great portions of it. Fanny liked church, although not so much the sermons. She thought she could preach a better sermon than her pastor, but she really enjoyed the singing. At age eight, Fanny wrote her first poem called Contented I Will Be. Oh, what a happy child I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. So weep or sigh because I'm blind. I cannot, nor I won't. Her mother, though, did not lose hope that her daughter would see again, and she saved up money for years until she could afford to take her to New York City to an eye clinic where they could assess her daughter's eyes. After looking at her and the damage to her eyes, the doctor said there was nothing that could be done. Her mother was crushed, but Fanny felt fine. She decided that whatever sight was, she didn't need it. Her mother got a new job in North Salem. And Fanny and her mother moved away from her grandparents and into a boarding house there. Her grandmother was close enough to still be able to visit pretty frequently. In North Salem, they met many Quakers and even went to a Quaker church. Fanny thought that their church was a lot more interesting. Around this time, she began to realize how different she was from everyone else because she was blind you know, being around other kids and being treated differently. She prayed about it, asking God, Your world is so big. Is there a little place you may have for me in it? Am I still your child, even though I'm blind? She felt like the Lord responded, Don't be sad, child. You are going to be happy and useful in your blindness. Soon her mother got another job, and they moved even farther away. Now her grandmother could not visit regularly. Instead, the landlady of the boarding house where she and her mother lived took care of Fanny during the day. She continued to teach her and picked up right where her grandmother had left off. Fanny had a truly remarkable memory. I would almost say almost like a savant. And with the help of her grandmother and the landlady, Miss Holly, she memorized a lot of the Bible, like whole books. She and her mother began attending a Presbyterian church where Fanny got to sing in the choir. She loved it. The deacons wrote some of the hymns that they sang, but the songs kind of got on Fanny's nerves because she felt like the music and the words didn't really match up. She felt like if she could have written the songs, she could have made them fit together better. Fanny's grandmother died, and Fanny began to agonize about whether or not she would ever see her again. She really didn't know if she was a Christian. She had learned that you had to remember your moment of conversion, but she couldn't think of a specific instance when she had actually believed in God. This fear and worry continued to rise up now and again over the following years. Fanny was so talented. She could sing, play the piano, play guitar, and she was a gifted storyteller. She was also a very talented poet. However, due to her blindness, she was unable to go to school. So even with all of her talent, she wondered what kind of future she could possibly have without an education. One day, though, when she was 15, her mother came home with news that would change her life. They had discovered that there was a school for the blind in New York City, and they were going to find a way for Fanny to attend. So, very soon, Fanny left everything she knew and moved to the Institute in New York City. There, she soon found her niche. Lots of people were just like her. All the students there were blind, and their education was tailored to meet their needs. She met many friends there and loved being able to learn. Her only difficulty was math, she just could not understand mathematics. Her friend, Anna, was a math whiz and tried to tutor her. She learned addition and subtraction, but multiplication almost did her in. She met with the head of the school asking if she could please stop taking math courses. He was adamant that she would learn. She finally mastered multiplication, but division was almost the death of her. Finally, the head of the school excused her from math lessons. Oh, Fanny, I understand math is not my favorite either. Math was not her forte, but language and music came to her like second nature. She wrote poems as easily as breathing and wrote one for every occasion. She began to gain some notoriety around the school for her writing. She was asked to present a poem often and for many occasions. One day, though, the superintendent of the school pulled her into his office to encourage her, but also to reprimand her a little bit. He told her to continue to pursue poetry, but not to let it create so much pride in herself. She still had many ways in which she could learn and improve her craft, and maybe she should not accept so much flattery from other people. He encouraged her to always give credit to God for her talents. At first, this devastated Fanny. It hurt her feelings a lot. But soon she began to see what a big head she actually had had about her poetry, and that pride was blooming a lot in her life. She decided to keep working towards learning, editing, and polishing her work, and to stop listening as much to the flattery of others. At one point, Fanny's grades began to go down. Mr. Jones, the superintendent of the school, told Fanny that she could not write another poem for three months until her grades began to rise again. This was the worst punishment. Fanny could not concentrate or focus. She hated it, and soon her grades began to get even worse. After six weeks, Mr. Jones changed his mind and let her begin writing again. When she was 18, Fanny's mother got remarried. She would now have a stepfather and a half-brother. She was really happy for her mom that she would no longer have to be alone. In her life, Fanny met many famous and important people. This began while she was still in school. Famous poet William Cullen Bryant came to the school and she read him a poem and took him on a tour of the school. Later in the day, he told Fanny that he had long wanted to meet her. He had read her poems in newspapers and magazines and told her to keep up the good work. Fanny was over the moon. One day, President Tyler showed up unexpectedly at the Institute. Fanny was called upon to write a poem and address it to the president. Because he showed up unannounced, she was only given 15 minutes to prepare. She prayed for help, then sat down and wrote. She wrote and wrote, and then a few minutes later, delivered stanza after stanza. Her friend told her afterwards it was so beautiful that she had cried. That was not the only president she would meet. The literature teacher at her school was named William Cleveland. Fanny got along really well with him and with his little brother, Grover. Grover would grow up to become President Grover Cleveland, the 22nd president. He and Fanny were lifelong friends. Fanny and a few other students went on trips to help spread the news about the school and recruit new students. They also often visited important people and places. One time they went to Congress to share about the school, and she presented one of her poems there. But all the traveling and the busyness ran Fanny down, and she needed some time to recuperate. Under doctor's orders, she went home to visit her family and rest. Her mother had had two new children by now with her husband. So now Fanny had two sisters, Julia and Caroline. Unfortunately, her stepfather had left the family and decided to join the Mormons out west. So once again, her mother was a single mom. Her half-brother and grandfather also lived there and helped out. Fanny enjoyed spending time with her family and was able to rest and recover enough to return to school. Fanny had now graduated herself and was now teaching at the school. She would teach during the day and write poems at night. She wanted to put together a book of her poems, and her first book, called The Blind Girl and Other Poems, was published in 1844 when she was just 24 years old. Just so you get a full picture of Fanny, let's talk about her wilder side. She was a real prankster and was known for her antics among her friends and the staff of the school. One time she overheard a visitor at the school asking about her book, And if she knew the author, she joked, oh yeah, I know her and she is really disagreeable. She thought that was too funny and laughed about it to herself and her friends until she later realized that the visitor had been a famous professor at Columbia college. She was mortified and decided she really needed to straighten up. Around that time, a great cholera epidemic began spreading across the world 70,000 people died in Great Britain, and soon it began to spread in the U.S. as well. President Polk died of the disease. In big cities, people were evacuated, and this affected the Institute, since it was situated in New York City. The Institute was closed, and staff and students were told to go home if they could. Fanny volunteered to stay and help. She gave medicine and cared for the ill. Ten students died. She watched one of her very favorite students, Lizzie, die of the disease. That night, Fanny began to feel sick too. She took a pill and went to bed. When she woke up, there were no signs of the disease. It seems like a miracle. When the emergency period ended, people returned to the school. However, Fanny was sent home to rest because with all of the hours of grief and caring for others, her own health had declined. She was so tired and had lost a lot of weight. So, she went back to her mom's house and once again rested, spending time with her sisters. She began to think again about the question of her own salvation. She continued to also question if she was doing God's work or if she was in God's will. When she got back to the school, she was invited by a friend to a revival meeting, which she went to a couple nights in a row. Each night, she would go to the front at the altar and wait for a quote-unquote conversion to happen. The third night, she knelt down in the front. The elders prayed over her and the congregation began to sing a hymn by Isaac Watts. On the very last verse, they sang, Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. And in that moment, Fanny felt something happen deep inside of her. She realized that she had never really given all of herself to the Lord. Like light breaking into her soul, she did. And then she stood up and sang, Hallelujah. Now she knew that she was saved and that she would see her grandmother again. Her friend told her, you will have a lot of ups and downs in life but you know your life belongs to the Lord and his plans for you are good. And Fanny decided to use her gifts for his glory. The music teacher at the school, Mr. George Root, left the school to begin his own music career. He asked Fanny if she would write words for his music and they wrote many songs together, some of which became hit songs in the U.S. They also wrote cantatas together, many of which were sung at schools around the United States. For each song she wrote, she received one or $2. Her poems were then owned and were property of the publishers who continued to make money off of them. Fanny had a special friend at the school, Alexander Van Alstyne, who was 10 years younger than her. He too was blind. She had started out as a sort of mentor to him, but as he grew up, they began to have mutual admiration for one another. She lovingly nicknamed him Van. He was a very talented musician and a kind person. They fell in love and decided to get married in 1858. They married and moved away from the school to a house outside of the city. There, she kept house, did chores, and kept a garden. Van was an incredible piano and organ player and made a living playing for events around New York. Fanny soon became pregnant and they were overjoyed. However, when their daughter Frances was only weeks old, she died in her sleep. It was a hard blow for both of them. Van was away frequently for work, and Fanny grieved alone in their house. They decided together that it would be good for her to stay busy and be around people, so they moved back to the city. There, they found rooms for rent for blind people near the institute. She continued to write music, sometimes with her husband, and continuing to write with Mr. Root. She decided that perhaps she should use her married name on her music, but Van told her that Fanny Crosby is how people knew her and she should continue to write under that name. Their work kept them apart often. In fact, some of the time, due to convenience and work, they lived apart, and Van often lived with benefactors who were paying for his music, while Fanny lived in the middle of the city. She loved living in the midst of diversity and cared deeply about the people around her. Where she lived, there were many poor people, as well as immigrants and a lot of ethnicities. Fanny was deeply against slavery and was a proud abolitionist. As the Civil War approached, she came out strongly on behalf of the Union. She even wrote songs supporting the North. Many people joined the war effort or joined the Army, including Fanny's brother. Fanny wrote patriotic songs, and some of them held absolutely no kindness or mercy for the South. In the end, she decided that this was probably not her best work. To help the war effort, she knitted mittens for the troops. Fanny began going to a Dutch Reformed church and her pastor told her that he knew a famous hymn writer, William Bradbury, who was setting old hymns into modern music. He needed someone to help him write words. And the pastor had thought of Fanny first. The night before she met William Bradbury to talk it over, she had a dream. In her dream, she was being guided past the stars towards a heavenly land. They came to a river and stopped. Fanny's guide told her that they could not cross the river because she needed to return to earth. But before she returned, he offered to open the gates just a crack so that she could hear a little of heaven's music. As he opened the gate, she heard music that she had never known existed and could not describe. She was overjoyed whenever she remembered it. When she woke up, she knew God was telling her to use her gifts for writing hymns. So she met with Mr. Bradbury, and they immediately hit it off. He was so impressed with her abilities, he told her that she would always have work at his company. Again, she was paid one or two dollars for each song she wrote. The pay remained the same her whole life. All of the profits and royalties went to the publishers, as they do. Fanny loved her work, though, and she was content. She wrote many Sunday school hymns and knew she was doing God's will. Before she wrote each hymn, she asked for God's blessing. The Civil War finally came to an end. Fanny had been able to meet President Lincoln, and she thought that he was one of the finest men she had ever known. When he died, she wept. Fanny was being asked to write hymns with other people as well. A lady named Phoebe palmer Nat became a good friend of Fanny's. She also played music and told her that she had composed a melody but didn't have words for it. She played it for Fanny, and quickly, words began to form in Fanny's mind. Just like that, the hymn Blessed Assurance came to be. In 1866, Mr. Bradbury died, and Fanny felt she must finish the work where he had left off. Fanny met another man whom she often worked with named William Doane. He wrote music for hymns but needed someone to write the words, so he and Fanny made a great team. When she helped him write the first hymn, he paid her for it. She thought at the time he had paid her $1 or $2 like she was used to, so she accepted the money. But when she went to the grocery store to buy food with it, She found out that he had paid her $20. Of course, she was blind, so she hadn't known that when he gave it to her. Fanny became good friends with both Mr. Doan and his wife, and she was able to write words for over a thousand of his compositions. His music was catchy, and it was easy to pick up the melody and sing to. Since many churches would not have hymn books, their music needed to be easy to remember and to sing. One time, Mr. Doan asked her to write a hymn, including the words, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. She agreed, but could not think of anything. She was drawing a blank. A short time later, she visited a prison where she was asked to speak. While there, during the service, she overheard one of the prisoners say, Good Lord, do not pass me by. His words stuck with her, and that night she went home and wrote the hymn. Mr. Doan finished the music, and the next time she went back to the prison, they sang the new hymn there, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. That night, as she spoke, some of the prisoners gave their lives to Christ. Another time, Mr. Doan showed up unannounced at Fanny's apartment shortly before he was to leave for a trip to Cincinnati. He said, I need a hymn written before I leave on this trip. If I give you the music, can you write the words for it? She went into her back room, shut the door, and prayed. In 40 minutes, she had written the hymn, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. She dictated it to Mr. Doan, and he took it with him. This hymn reminded her of her sweet baby who had died, who she believed was safe in the arms of Jesus. The hymn also struck a chord with many other people, and for the rest of her life, Fanny was told, by many, how precious that hymn was to them, and people would stop and share with her their own stories of how the song had ministered to them or to their loved ones. The great D.L. Moody came to New York City for a revival with his famous singer and song leader, Mr. Sankey. They had been using some of Fanny's songs in their revival meetings, and Fanny was able to meet them. They asked her to write more songs for them, and she, of course, said yes and felt really honored. Fanny wrote many hymns for the publishing company Big Low in Maine. It was one of the two biggest publishers of hymns at that time. For them, she wrote 5,959 hymns. Can you imagine? In fact, She wrote so many hymns that she was asked to start writing under pen names so whole hymnals wouldn't be filled up with only her name. So she came up with 204 pen names, some like Sally Smith and Julia Sterling. Fanny had many secret talents, but here's one. Remember, she had to memorize what she'd written so that it could be dictated because she was not able to write them for herself. She was writing so many poems and so quickly that she was able to dictate two different poems to two different secretaries at the same exact time. And she didn't mix them up. That's wild. (laughs) One of her coworkers remarked, I don't know how you do it. Your memory is a gift from God. In response, she said, each of us has a gift from God. For me, there is only the little library in my mind that God has given me to use. Her coworker responded, "And your heart, Fanny, That's where God's gift to you surely begins. Here's a fun fact about Fanny Crosby. Whenever she wrote or recited a poem, she would hold a small book in her hands. She could not read the book or write in the book, but somehow it helped her. No one knows exactly how. Fanny was getting older now, but her energy did not wane. When she was asked to travel and speak, she almost always said yes. She was also doing outreach in her community and with her neighbors. She said, blind I may be, but I have two good hands and feet to use as well as my mind. She helped weekly in the Bowery, a New York City neighborhood known as one of the worst slum areas of the city. So she would go in the morning to the office to work, and at night she would write. In between, she would do mission work to those in her area. She wanted people there to know that no one is too far down for the love of Jesus to reach them. She felt like they really didn't need their sin to be pointed out to them. They already knew plenty about their own sin. At one point, Fanny was offered more money for her hymns, but she refused. She felt like she was content just to have a hand in God's work. She said, A hymn is the song of the heart addressed to God. At the age of 80, Fanny suffered a heart attack. Her sisters came to see her and decided she could no longer live by herself. So they packed her up and she went to live with her sister in Bridgeport. She agreed to this arrangement as long as they would help her get back to New York whenever she needed to. They all agreed. Ira Sankey, the singer for D.L. Moody that Fanny had often worked with, arranged with her sister to pay her rent and a weekly stipend. Fanny soon recovered and started to work again. She might be in Bridgeport now and in her 80s, but Fanny would not be stopped. She started volunteering at a local mission there and a local hospital. While living in Bridgeport, in 1902, a telegram came that her husband Van had died of a stroke. Fanny was deeply grieved. They had remained faithful to each other for many years, although they did not always live together due to work. She found comfort in her grief by continuing to write hymns and staying busy. She said, rest is for old people. I don't think I would live a year if my work were taken away from me. Ira Sankey had aged himself and was now totally blind. She found out that he was sick and went often to visit him. Fanny would read the Bible to him when she visited. How, you ask? from the library in her mind, and they would sing songs that they had written together. She lived with her sister Carrie for six years, but then her sister also passed away. So at that point, Fanny went to live with her niece Florence and her husband Henry, who Fanny nicknamed the governor. At 93, she was still speaking and traveling with the help of her niece. She got to the point she could no longer travel, so she instead welcomed visitors who came to see her. She had a mild heart attack again at home, and the doctor said she would not live many more months. She could not do much physically now, but she continued to write hymns and pray. Her old friend, Mr. Doan, was ill, and Fanny was asked to write a hymn for him. Of course, she did, and although she did not know it, it would be her last. She wrote, At Evening Time It Shall Be Light. Fanny fell ill and passed away at home with her family on February 12, 1915, at the age of 94. She was almost 95. Her funeral was the largest that Bridgeport had ever had. Crowds lined the street, and each person at the funeral was given a violet, which they threw into the casket, because violets were Fanny's favorite flower. At her funeral, her hymn, Saved by Grace, was sung. The New York Times wrote about her that her hymns had spread to every country in the world where the Christian religion had reached. Fanny once told D.L. Moody, I'm so glad that the first face I'll see will be the face of the Lord Jesus. Friends, what an incredible lady. What stands out to you from her story? So much stands out to me about her. Her talent, her selflessness, her desire to care for others, her desire to use her gifts for God's glory. But more than anything else, this quote from Fanny stands out to me and summarizes it all. She said, I am shut away by my blindness from the distractions of the world, and it is not an affliction, but a gift from God. Wow, she saw her affliction as a gift. Let that sink in. It kept her from the distractions of the world. It makes me wonder, how might your afflictions actually be a gift in disguise? I encourage you to think about it. I know I will. What resonates with you from her story? I would love to hear about it. Comment under today's show notes or join the conversation on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me there at Pause Renew next. If you'd like to learn more about Fanny Crosby, believe me, there are so many resources that you can look into. The main ones I used for this podcast episode were the Blind Girls song by Lucille Travis from the Trailblazers series. And 50 Women Every Christian Should Know, Learning from Heroines of the Faith by Michelle DeRusha. Well, next week, you can look forward to another Soul Care Reflection episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause. Renew. Next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus.